Good morning. First off, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. God has blessed you with a beautiful day for gardening. <laughs> um, most of you guys don't garden, though. So, um, but that's what it is. Good flowers, good gardening day. Um, but it's just a great day. I, I love how Allah was, talk, or Allah was talking about that today, about um, just how sometimes mothers aren't always perfect, uh, but you can, you can clearly see their love for their, for their family, for their kids. Um, and it's just a good day to celebrate what moms are, what moms stand for. And maybe you didn't have, you know, the greatest example of a mom or you didn't have that ideal mom, or maybe you're trying to become that yourself. But Mother's Day, it hits, it hits everyone differently. You know, for some people, it's a harder day. For some people, it's a day to rejoice and be glad. For some people, it's just a day to be grateful for what they have. And so I don't know your context and where you're at, but I do just want to know, or I just want to say that Mother's Day is an awesome day, and I want to make sure that we all acknowledge that um, <clears throat> there's something that we can get out of it. And so um, since it's Mother's Day, and we're talking about this Miracle Mercy campaign that we've been going through. It's a, it's a six-week campaign that Rick Warren has actually done within his church. And Rick Warren is, is the man who sold and, and authored The Purpose Driven Life, which is the second best-selling book of all time right behind the Bible. Um, we're talking about today mercy and how it shows up in our homes. You know, and I think that, honestly, that's probably what any mom would want is is mercy in the home for Mother's Day. You know, to have, to have a home and a household and a family that shows mercy to one another, that gets along with one another, that, that is able to forgive one another. Like that, to me, sounds like probably one of the better Mother's Day gifts that could happen on Mother's Day. And so today what we're going to be talking about is how we can show mercy in our family. Um, if you guys want to, there is a, there's a a piece of paper in your guys' bulletins that has some notes on it if you guys want to follow along with us today and what we're going to be talking about. Um, but actually, at the beginning of uh, the beginning of that, in Psalm 101-2, it says, Lord, I want to live a blameless life, but I, how I need your help, Lord, especially in my own home, where I long to act as I should. You see, it's funny because the people that we are so... Uh, close with, the people that we're the, the most connected with, tend to be the ones that we, that we lose our patience with the most, right? Like, think about your family, your context. Maybe you're a, a, a younger person and, and you go home to a family, or even if you're a mom or a dad and you guys are within your own houses, and you start to see those arguments, right? And you see those arguments where people are starting to blow up, or you're on the phone with somebody in your family and you're yelling or something like that. Um, but then, like, you walk into, like, a restaurant, Right? And you guys be yapping, 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 yelling, 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 you open that restaurant door like, hi, how's it going? Right? And you immediately change behavior. Or there's an argument going on in the house, and then the phone rings, you're like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello? How's it going? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Everything's great. Yeah, yeah, I'll see you on Sunday. Bye, blah, blah. blah. You go right back into it, right? And it's so easy for us to get so irritable and so frustrated with our family members, the people that we are closest to, but whenever it comes to complete strangers, we tend to have a different demeanor. Or maybe even your car ride into church today, right? And the car ride on the drive here, oh, yeah. and then you get out of the car and you shut the door, or maybe you slam it and nobody notices, and they look and you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? Good, happy Sunday. You know, like we're here at church and we can change for a little bit. But the reality is, is that our households tend to be as, un, as undesirable as that may be, 
it tends to be the place that mercy needs to be shown the most with the people that we know the most. Um, like you said in Psalms 101, especially in my own home. And maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you think, eh, maybe I don't need this. Uh, maybe my family and I are fine. Well, we put together a little quiz, and I want you guys to kind of walk through this and check one of these lines for each one of these questions, and just to kind of get us maybe in the, in the right mindset where we're at today with this mercy, and maybe see with your spouse or your siblings or other family members that you have, what, is, what tends to be your normal response. So when somebody in your family, a spouse, sibling, whoever, gets a few details wrong about telling a story, do you tend to be the person who interrupts and corrects them while everyone else is around? No, no, that's not the way that happened. No, 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 you're completely wrong. You're a liar. <laughs> right? Um, or do you tend to be the person who remains quiet knowing you've done the same thing? No, I've, I've, messed, I've messed up details before, too. I'm just, I'm just going to let them have this one, you know? Which one are you, you know? When somebody makes the same mistake over and over in your family, do you tend to become irritated and lash at them? Why do you keep messing up? You keep doing the same thing. It's the same thing. You do this over, you do this time and time again. It's always like this. Or do you gently address the mistake and graciously forgive your family members? You know... We're family. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. We're just gonna we're just gonna move on with life. Which one are you? When somebody's getting more attention than you think they deserve, oh, they just got a big promotion, or oh, they just graduated, or oh, they got they got better grades than me, and all this stuff, and, and they're getting all this praise. What do you do? Do you feel left out and need to bring them down a little bit? Oh yeah, you just got grades, but man, look at your room. Man, look at the way that you live. Look at look at all these other little things that you mess up in. You know, you're not, you're not up here. Let's, let's come back down to the same level. Make sure we're on the same page. Or do you join in and celebrate with them? Great job. You got A's too. You know, maybe I didn't get the A's, but you got the A's. Which one do you choose to be? When somebody says something that you don't understand, why did they do that? Why did they say that? What's your first response? Do you assume they have a right motivation? For saying and doing it and let it be. So we tricked you on this one. We flipped them. So you can't just answer A for all of them to know you're in the right or wrong spot, right? Do you assume that they have the right motivation in saying or doing what they did and, and keep it there? Or do you immediately question the motivation and question what they did to think the worst? Oh, why did they do that? Oh, I know why they did that. They're doing that to get back at me for what I did five years ago. You know, why, why did they do that? Oh, I know why. It's, I, don't, I don't know why, but I know it's not good. You know, I'm going to figure it out. Which one are you in those? And lastly, are you more polite with strangers or your family? Are you more polite with the people that you don't even know when you walk into a church, when you walk into a restaurant, when you walk into a grocery store? Or are you more polite with the people in your own house? See, I'm not a fan of doing the sermon because this is very challenging to me. Because <laughs> I checked all the opposites on this. Like, when I look at this, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm a Christian. Like, I go to church. Like, I do some of this stuff. But the reality is when I check these boxes and I look at my life, I'm like, no. It, in my own household, it is such a struggle to show mercy. It's such a struggle to not get irritable. It's such a struggle to not look for the wrong in things. And I hope that most of you guys are not lying today because you're in church, that you are probably in the same spot as me. <laughs> and that we all need help with mercy in our own households. We all need help 
with what it looks like, no matter if you're a mother or a son or a father or whatever your context is, a brother, a sister, that you need to show mercy in your home just like everybody else. And you could use the work as well. Now let's jump into the lesson then. You know, now that we know that we need this. So we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, that mercy is love and action. Um, that mercy is love and action. And so when we're talking about mercy, we know that it's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's not something that we just feel, but it's, it's a behavior. It's a choice. We have to choose to be merciful which means that the same thing can be said about love. So when you compare the two of those two things, whatever is true about love is also true about mercy. So if we need to show an act on mercy, we need to show an act on love as well. Um, it helps out a lot that the Bible kind of gives us this verse that we've probably heard multiple times in 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about love, and it talks about all these different ways that love is shown through action, um, which can, once again, parallel with mercy. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it gives us 15 characteristics of what love looks like. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, on your notes, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not boastful or proud. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not irritable or easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. Love rejoices with the truth. Love is always supportive. Love always trusts. Love is always hopeful, love perseveres and never gives up, love never fails, it never ends. You know, Rick Warren was talking about this whenever I was looking through his notes um, for, this, for this sermon today, and he was talking about, he asked his wife, he goes, you know, it's Mother's Day, what should I talk about on Sunday? What should I talk about for Mother's Day? When we're talking about 1 Corinthians 13, there's these 15 characteristics, right? So what should it be? And her response was, Short. And she goes, I want a short sermon because I don't want to be here listening to my husband talk about 15 different points through love. It's Mother's Day. Like, I want to go home. I want to relax today. I don't want to hear a two-hour sermon on those same things. And so fortunate for you guys, I will do the same today. We're not going to outline every single one of these 15 points, but we're going to find a way to cover four of these today. We're going to look at four characteristics and four ways that we can show mercy at home based on this verse in 1 Corinthians 13. And so the first point and the first way that we can show mercy at home is by overlooking irritations and offenses. We can show mercy at home by overlooking irritations and offenses. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, love is not irritable or easily angered. That's a hard one, right? Because that's probably what triggers people the most is is when they get irritated by somebody else. When somebody does something to offend them, when somebody does something to irritate them, that's usually what triggers people immediately. That, that, that emotion of anger comes out the most, not by our own doing, but more times than not by somebody else's doing upon us. Now, there are some people that beat themselves up because they have failed or they have messed up, and, and that's a different to topic or conversation. But more times than not, people tend to get angry because of what other people have done. And what mercy looks like and what love looks like is to be able to overlook those things. And it's not so quick to get to anger for that same, pro that same, that same problem. In Proverbs 19.11, it says, Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. 
And so now we have this idea of sensible. Like when you think of the word sensible, you think about people who use their intelligence, right? That's a sensible decision. That's an intelligence. That's a sensible reaction. And so when you think about the word sensible, it talks about how somebody chooses to be guided by their mind rather than their heart. They choose to be guided by their intelligence rather than their emotions. And so when the Bible's talking about sensible people control that, it's, it could be parallel to say that the opposite of what the Bible's saying is that he's trying to help us understand that people who choose to lose their, lose their, tincture, their temper tend to be unintelligent. You know, it's an unintelligent response to lose your temper. It's not very smart to choose to lose your temper if you're really trying to show mercy. Because if you really think about it like that, like, why would it be an intelligent response to think you're going to gain respect like this verse says by losing your temper? Oh, I'm just going to snap on this person and I'm going to immediately gain respect. You know, I'm going to yell at this person. They're going to respect me so much more. I'm going to, I'm going to outlash. I'm not going to, I'm not going to overlook these things that they have done to me. And because of that, they're going to, they're going to respect me. That doesn't make any sense. Because when you, when you hear it out loud like that, you're like, no, I probably wouldn't respect somebody if their choice is to yell at me. You know, I'm not going to respect somebody if their choice is to get mad at me because I've messed up. And that's what Proverbs is trying to get us to understand is that sensible people control their temper. And in Proverbs 17, it says, love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them separates even close friends. That's a word that women don't like to hear, is it? Nag. <laughs> You're right. That's, 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 that's like a no-no word in our house. Like, I, I never call my wife a nag. And when I do, it's completely out of humor. Because I know if I say it for real, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get yelled at. Um, and I'll have to ask for forgiveness immediately. But that's, you know, nagging is not a fun word to be called, right? Nobody wants to be called a nag, you know? Um, whether it's true or not, nobody wants to hear the word, you're a nag. That's a trigger word, you know? Um, and what's the response that happens? When you nag, it separates even close friends. You know, when you choose to nag, it doesn't just affect you and how you're choosing to treat somebody, but it separates people around you. It starts to become toxic. The way that you choose to react to people and the way that you choose to talk in your own behaviors can change the relationships around you. So by not overlooking these things, it cannot just have an impact on us, but the people around us as well. It says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. You see, there's an important point in this verse that we need to understand that anger is not sinful. Sometimes. Anger is not sinful sometimes. Because the reality is, God gets angry. If you look all over in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, you saw that God had a wrath. You saw that God would get angry at his people. And if that's true, we are created in God's image, are we not? So that means that if there are behaviors and traits that God is allowed to exemplify, he expects us to exemplify those same things. But the reality is, is that when we choose to exemplify the same things that God has blessed us with, which is anger for one, we don't necessarily exemplify it the same way that he does. You see, this verse talks about letting, it doesn't say don't sin by getting angry, right? It says don't sin by letting anger control you. So there is a righteous anger. There is, there is an appropriate response to anger. 
When I hear in the news that there, there's child trafficking going on, I get angry. When I hear that there has been abuse in a household, I get pretty angry about that. When I hear there's injustice going on in the world, that, those anger me, right? And I think that's an appropriate response and emotion to have when we hear about those things because we don't want to stand for those things. We want to help those things. We want to fix those things. And the anger frustrates us because we know that we need to have a response to change those things and to do what we can to prevent those things. But I don't necessarily think that that's the type of anger that shows up within our households, right? We get angry because somebody didn't do the dishes. We get angry because somebody didn't do the chores. We get angry because somebody said something they weren't supposed to. We get angry because somebody gave us attitude back. We get angry because of the little things. And what ends up happening is it becomes sin because we let the anger control us. You see, we, we don't look at the injustice in the world and get angry and let that anger control us to go do some stupid stuff in the world, right? You know, I think that there's a right way and a wrong way to fight injustice, for sure. And I don't think being led by anger is the right way to do it, by no means. But that's the problem with anger, is anger is an emotion that doesn't like to be controlled. Anger is a huge emotion in our lives that it doesn't like to be controlled by our emotions. It wants its own emotion. And whenever we choose to let anger take that control, like it very easily does, it gives a foothold to the devil. Think about all the times that you've outburst in anger. Like, think about your recent fights. Think about the most, the most simplest things that you snapped on somebody. Did maybe you say something that you wish you wouldn't have said? Did you maybe throw something you wish you wouldn't have thrown? Punch something maybe you wish you wouldn't have punched? Was that really you doing those things? Because if you regret things that you had done in the midst of your anger, that really wasn't you. That was the anger itself. And when you chose to let anger come in and take control, you chose to let Satan have a foothold in your life. When you choose to allow those things to happen, you choose to let Satan have a foothold in your house. And that's dangerous. When you choose to, when you choose to reach out and live out in anger in your household, you're inviting Satan in to have a foothold in your house. And so when we, talk about, when we talk about anger, we have to realize that there is a very seriousness about it, the way that we choose to, to, to lash it out and leash it out towards people. So what's the solution there? The solution is honestly just to not stay mad, to be able to overlook these things. In 1 Thessalonians 5.15, it says, Be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. You want to know the best way to overlook offenses and irritations is don't look for those things in the people around you and your family. Look for the opposite things. Look for the good in your family. Look for the good things that God has given them. Look for the things because when you choose to focus on the good things, you don't let Satan have a foothold. You, you don't stay mad at the things that are beneficial. And so... A good challenge is whenever you get angry, think about the things that you shouldn't be angry about and let that anger not be controlled by itself but be controlled by you to, 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 to overlook it and to move past it. So that's our first point, is by overlooking irritations and offenses. Our second one is by being kind when they don't deserve it, but they need it. 
by being kind when they don't deserve it, but they need it. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 7 says, Love is patient, love is kind, love is always supportive. You know, it's, it's hard to, to figure out the difference between the two, right? Deserving and needing. I mean, the definition is pretty simple. Um, but when we choose to act on it, it's not, it's not as simple. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.15, don't be hateful to people just because they're hateful to you. Rather, be good to each other and to everyone else. You see, nobody, nobody stops somebody on the side of the road whenever they need help and says, you know, why are you here? You know, if somebody's stuck on the side of the road with a flat tire, you get out of your car and you walk over and, and do you say, are you, are you a legal American citizen? Are, are you drunk? Are you, are you, are you financially, did you, did you mess your life up that you're in the spot because you got a broke down car? Like, we don't sit here and interrogate people on the side of the road to see if they deserve our help or not, right? We just do it. And the reality is, is that we don't do that sometimes with our own families. Because we try to find reasons why our family members don't deserve the things that they deserve. How in the world am I supposed to, how, how in the world am I supposed to forgive my mom if she did A, B, and C my whole life? How am I supposed to give my sister or my brother or my son because of what they've done? See, we look for reasons in our own family to tell them that they don't deserve our mercy. But when it comes to complete strangers, oh yeah, I'll help you for sure. I'll help you. I'll help you out. I'll show mercy. You don't necessarily deserve it, but you need it. I don't know if you deserve it or not, but you need it. But when we look at our families, we look at the exact opposite and say, you don't deserve this. So therefore, I'm not going to give it. You haven't done anything right in your life for me to deserve that. You know, most of you guys know I come from a, from a broken family. My dad was an alcoholic and, and, a, and a drug addict uh, his whole life. I didn't really know him very well. He passed away uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, they found him in, dead in a motel, you know, uh, and he had heroin in his, in his blood. And uh, nothing that my dad would have done would have given me a reason to say that he deserves my love or forgiveness. And that's one of the things that haunts me, honestly, the most, is that I never got an opportunity to tell my dad um, that I forgave him. And I wish that I had ever had a window or opportunity to do that. And I was actually, you know, it was weird because I was at a point in my life where I was starting to, to, to target my family more with my faith. Um, same thing happened with my grandma. You know, I started studying the Bible with my grandma, and she had passed away within weeks of us having these conversations about faith. And there are certain things that, that will haunt me because I didn't take these things seriously faster. But I think one of the things for me that really did change my perspective on how I handled my family and how I, and how I targeted my family with, with mercy and forgiveness was when I hear verses like this, it reminds me exactly of what Jesus did for us. You see, because when you ask those questions, how am I supposed to forgive somebody? How am I supposed to show mercy to a family member that doesn't deserve it? The answer to that question is a question. And that question is, how are you supposed, how is, how is Jesus supposed to forgive you for what you've done to him? You see, so many times we want to bottle up this hurt towards the way that people have treated us, and we completely forgot what Jesus has done for us. You see, in a few minutes here we're going to take communion. 
Um, and this is just an opportunity for us to really remember exactly what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus laid it all out, and he was crucified to give us an opportunity, to give us a hope, to forgive and show mercy. And even in spite of that crucifixion, even in spite of that death, since then, even of us understanding and knowing, we have still sinned. Even if you've studied through God's word and you've known that Jesus did this and you felt convicted, the Bible says that whenever we, when we hear about the message of the cross, it should compel us to be something different, right? And for, for many of you, you felt that compelling part of your heart say, I want to be something different because of what Jesus has done for me. I want to be something different. And you have changed. You, you, maybe you, you've turned a cycle and you turn a new leaf and you've, and you've started a new life, Right? But still in the midst of you doing all those things and in the midst of you reading God's word and in the midst of you changing your heart and life, you have still messed up. And I say that because I know that for myself. I have still messed up. Even as a Christian, I still know what Jesus did on the cross for me. And yet I have still completely blatantly disobeyed or ignored what he has called me to do in my life. But yet God is still merciful and forgives me, even knowing what I know that Jesus did for me. And so it's hard to sit here and point the finger at the hurt and the people in our lives that have hurt us, saying that they don't deserve it, when we so easily take mercy from somebody else, when the reality is that we don't deserve what he had done for us. And so what I want to do is I want to take communion, and I want us to think about this as we take communion, as we pass those emblems, um, to think about what that really meant and what that really looks like moving forward for our mercy towards other people. Because God, you know, guys, I don't have an answer always to this person wronged you. This person wronged me. It's so bad. It's so wrong. You know, they don't deserve it because the reality is they don't. But also you don't either. And so when we can remember what Jesus did on the cross, we can really remember how we're supposed to put this towards other people to give them and once again, we're made in God's image. To sh he shows us mercy, and in, and, in, and in return, we're supposed to show it to other people. So I'm going to say a prayer. We're going we're gonna to pass these emblems, and then we're going to wrap this lesson up today. God, I just want to thank you so much for uh, just mercy in general. God, you know, even if I had, had never sinned before I'd known you, and, it, and, and I tried to live a sinless life, um, the world that we live in is not a world that, that protects that, that thought, that protects that heart. God, it's just, we are so naturally inclined to sin because of our culture, because of our media. And it maybe it's, it's not like these big, great sins of, you know, all these things that look really, really bad. But God, it's the little things in the heart. It's, it's, it's the pridefulness. It's the selfishness. It's the self-centeredness. It's just the little things that just tend to seep back in, God. Uh, but I know how merciful you are. I know how graceful and gracious you are towards me. And so, God, I have no place to try to judge if people deserve my grace or my mercy because of what you've given me. I have no place to, to be the judge in, in other people's lives and how I treat them because of how you've treated me. And it's all because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so, God, I pray we can remember that as we take uh, these emblems today, and that will motivate us to look at the way that we treat our families and how mercy shows up with them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So another way you guys can help look at this idea of mercy um, 
when people don't deserve it, but they need it, is in Romans 12, verses 15 and 16, it says, Share the happiness of those who are happy, the sorrow of those who are sad. Live in harmony with each other. Don't become snobbish, but take a real interest in ordinary people. Don't become set in your own opinions. And it's cool because what's going on here is, is Paul is challenging Romans and Christians to look at each other's lives before they, cho- before they choose to judge. Um, he's essentially telling them to walk a mile in each other's shoes so they can have more understanding. You know, uh, because it's very easy to try to figure out if somebody deserves something or not from our own judgment. But the reality is it's a lot easier to figure out if somebody needs something or not if you really know who they are and you really know where they've been. You know, like I said about my family a couple times, like, I, my family isn't, the, isn't a perfect family. Um, a, lot of, a lot of my siblings uh, are not disciples uh, or Christians. And so it's very easy for me to look at my life and, and my family's life and say, oh my gosh, you guys are so messed up. <laughs> when the reality is that the only reason that I am any different is because of God. It's literally because I had chose to run to faith instead of other things. Whereas some of my siblings have chosen to run to alcohol or to toxic relationships or to A, B, and C, where that could have very easily been me if I had not found a relationship with God. But yet, it it tends to be the Christians, the ones who have ran towards God, that want to be the most judgy towards the people in their own families who have not found that yet and who have not seen the benefits and the blessings of that yet. And what this is so cool is Paul is looking at Christians and Romans, pagans and disciples, and saying, listen, if you guys could just get to know each other, it'd be a lot easier for you guys to understand. He says, don't become so set in what you think you know about other people. Don't become so set in your opinions, but take a real interest in ordinary people. Get to know the people around you. Get to know the people you work with, your family members. Get to know their backgrounds. Get to know people instead of just looking at them and be like, eh, they don't deserve that. Look at them. Don't judge somebody by their surface, but when you really get to know people and you know their backgrounds and their backstories, it's a lot easier to understand that there is more deserving of a mercy than maybe you think. Um, it's so hard because when you look in the world, too, there, there is so much brokenness. There is so much hurting. There are so many, so many widows. You know, I look in the world, and the Bible, the Bible talks about widows a lot, right? And talks about how we need to take care of widows. And, you know, I was listening to Rick Warren's sermon on this, and he had talked, he had a, a lady come on stage and talk about how um, her mom had, had a husband who had passed away um, because he had not taken care of himself. And so there's this whole cool testimony about how the, the mom was brought into the house, and she really didn't show love to her daughter at that point in life. But the daughter chose to give her mercy because of realizing that her mom didn't really have a mom that took care of her, so she, she chose to find mercy in this daughter. But there's a side note I want to talk about with that whenever I heard about it was, I know today's Mother's Day, but I kind of want to talk to the men in the room for a second, because it was kind of crazy the way that this lady had talked about how this, how this husband had died, and what I had realized was a huge challenge for me, and I don't know, it was completely off topic, it's a complete side note, but for you men, you know, he, he kind of made a joke out of it, but there was a reality in it too. But the best Mother's Day you can give to the women in your life, men, is to not die. <laughs> it's just to not die, you know? And I thought about that, and I, it was kind of a joke at, at the beginning, but then he kind of poured into it a little bit more, and he helped understand what that point meant. But he's saying, for, for you men, you know, 90% of married men 
do not take their health as seriously as their counterpart. 90% of married men choose to lose um, ambition and self-interest when it comes to personal healthy uh, habits and lifestyles. It's almost like that joke where it's like, well, I'm married now, I got to do nothing else, right? And, and we hear that a lot. We joke around about that a lot. But the reality is, is that women outlive men. It's true. It's statistically true. Um, and what Rick was talking about was, you know, him and his wife got into a, an argument once. And she was like, you know, they, they talked about, you know, somebody who's going to die first or something like that. And he was like, well, I want to die first. I don't want to be on this earth without you, you know, after we've been married for 40 years, like, I'd rather just, I want to go first, you know, and then he challenged that thought, and he said, that was the most self-centered, selfish comment I had ever made in my life, and I thought about that more, and I realized the reality of it is so true, that men, when you don't take care of your health, it is the most selfish thing you can do to all the women in your life, it really is, so many men die earlier than they're supposed to because of health benefits and concerns that they just did not take care of and they did not address in the times that they were supposed to take them seriously. And they leave their wives and their children by themselves to become widows, to become these kids that have to learn and have other models and males come into their lives and raise them because the men weren't willing to take their health seriously. You know, that's something that I've been challenged on recently too. I've, I've had a lot of back issues and I've been going to, to get therapy and, and, and get but it's, it's starting to make me think, like I've jumped into this new bracket of life that I'm not this old PE teacher like I was in, in my college days and played all these sports. Like I, I actually hurt whenever I get done doing stuff, you know, and it didn't used to be like that. But hearing this, hearing this guy talk and then thinking about my own context, I'm like, just because I'm skinny doesn't mean I'm healthy. Like there's so many things that go on that I have to make sure that I address that are important to the longevity of my life for my family. And for me to not take those things seriously is so selfish of a mindset to have to any women in my life. Because men, you are called by scripture to lead, to provide, to be the supporters of your family. Whether that be financially, whether that be spiritually, whether that be whatever it is, especially spiritually. We choose to let the women in our lives lead everything spiritually, but that's your role. So when you die, whose job is that? It's not yours anymore because you're dead. You know? So one of the most selfless things that you can choose to do is take care of yourself for the women around you. It doesn't matter if you're a husband. It doesn't matter if you're a father. Men in our college ministry, you have sisters in your life. They're choosing to look at you guys. High school boys, high school junior high boys. You guys have women in your life that are looking at your example. But if you die because you won't take care of your health, who is going to step in to help lead those women one day? Worldly men? Men out there that don't really care about what God has to say? Men have a, a, a higher important role, a huge role, more so than you think whenever you choose to not take care of yourself. So that's just a challenge to all of us as men on Mother's Day to do the things that we know. And I'm sure I could ask any woman in here to say, do you want the men in your life to die before you? They'd be like, probably not. Some of you guys probably need to repent if you're like, oh, he needs to go. <laughs> but no, I'm ready. I'm ready for him to be gone, you know. But... You want him gone, but not his paycheck, right? That's, that's exactly how it right. That's, that's, but when we think about our lives, it should not be left to the women to outlast the men because they're not willing to do things for themselves personally to provide for everyone. And so when we talk about this idea of just 
you know, that's a complete side note. It wasn't even a part of the sermon, but it was just something that he had said that had triggered me, and I thought it would be something good to talk about on Mother's Day for us men to talk about. But the reality is, is when you look in other people's lives, you look at their contexts, to not become set in your own opinions about who people are and why they are the way that they are, but to actually get to know them. The third point is by letting go of past hurts. By letting go of past hurts. Yeah, this one sucks, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love keeps no records of wrongs. I heard a joke of a guy that came in and said, man, me and my, me and my wife, we got into a huge argument, and she, just, she got historical. And he goes, you mean hysterical? He goes, no, she got historical. She, she outlined everything I've done wrong in our marriage, and she dated it back and back and back. She got so historical with it. And, and I, was, I was like, that's kind of funny, but it's true, isn't it? When we choose to fight with each other, we don't choose to sit here and look at the actual issue, but doesn't it always come to something else that happened from the past? Oh, I'm so mad at you right now. Well, why? Well, because six months ago you did this one thing and it's just been bottled up. You don't say that, but that's exactly what the, the conflict ends up resolving too, is that there's some kind of unsaid or unfinished hurt. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges. This is such a hard one for us to process because sometimes we, we inadvertently don't even know that we're holding on to a hurt or we don't know what the target issue or the hurt was because the issue is actually dissolved, but the feeling towards that person has stayed. And so sometimes we, we have these conversations, we have these big fights or these big blow-ups, and then we have that conversation like, I don't even remember why I'm mad at you. I just know I'm mad at you, you know? You ever been in that spot before where you're just like, I don't even remember where, where did this start? I don't know. Let's try to be historical and go back and figure out how many times you wronged me to figure out which one was that kept this feeling inside of me. And we choose to hold on to these grudges and these past hurts, and they infect us. See, in Mark 6, 19 and 20, it says, So Herodotus nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. You see, you see two different things. You see, she held a grudge against him. And because she did that, her ultimate emotions were to want to kill him because of what he had done and she had held on to that. But on the opposite side, Herod protected him because he chose to see past the offense because he probably did something wrong. They both realize that something's wrong that has happened here. But his response is not to hold the grudge, and he actually wants to protect him because he knows the character of who he is. And I think a lot of times we choose to not look at the character of a person, but we choose to look at that hurt or that offense, and that's what we hold on to. It's not who the person really is in their nature. It's not really who the kind of heart the person has. It's that one thing that they had done. But what I'm telling you guys today is that when you choose to hold on to hurts, when you choose to hold on to grudges, the only person is going to hurt is yourself to start. You know, sometimes people hurt us and they don't even know they did it. Has anyone ever said anything like offensive to you and it, wasn't, it really wasn't meant to become offensive or come across offensive, but like it was to you and then they just continue to live their life and you continue to be hurt? 
And you're like, they don't even know they hurt me. Because they probably don't know that they hurt you. You know, because they probably said something in joking and then they walk away and you didn't take it as a joke, you took it seriously. But which one of those two people is going to be affected because of that joke? It's not the person who didn't know and didn't care because they're going on living life. But for you, that's going to turn into a grudge. That's going to weigh you down. You're going to start treating people differently because you chose not to work against it. You see, the problem with nursing a grudge is it, it starts to bottle. And it starts to turn into different emotions. And it starts to exhume and stink itself out of you towards the people around you. Because when we get hurt and somebody hurts us, we think that the best thing's going to happen is one day we're going to get a sniper shot at that person and get them right back. We for real do. Some of you guys are like, literally, you want a sniper shot like on somebody. I'm talking metaphorically here. You guys, some of you guys laughed a little, a little too quick on that joke, right? Um, but you want to get like a sniper shot and you want to directly hit that person the same way they hurt you. You think that it's just going to be a quick, you know, eye for an eye here. You, you hurt me, I hurt you, and it's going to be all done. But that's not how grudges work. That's not how hurts work. Hurts and grudges, when you hold on to them, are more like landmines. Because you're, you're probably never going to get that shot that you want, that one shot to get them back. But what's going to end up happening is you're going to blow up around the people around you. You're going to affect the people around you because you're going to hold on to that stuff. You guys ever heard the, the, the term hurt people hurt people? Right? That's exactly what happens when you chose to hold on to hurts and grudges, is that you choose to hurt other people. You know, I work in campus ministry, and a lot of times I see college students that start to act out. Or they start to do things that just are kind of like, why are you doing this? Why are you treating these other college kids like crap? Why are you choosing not to trust? Why are you choosing to be mean to other people? Like, why are you affecting the people around you? And dude, some of the, some of the responses I get are like, it's because my dad hurt me when I was a kid. You know? It's because I was abused whenever I, you know, five or six years ago. It's because I have this hurt or this grudge I'm holding against somebody else. And like the logical side of me is like, but they're not here. They're not, they're not in this ministry with you. Your dad's not sitting right next to you. That, that, that abuser's not here with you. But why are all these other people around you suffering because of somebody who did something to you? That's the logical side of me, but that's, that's not the emotional side of what happens usually when grudges and hurts show up, Right? We, we choose to target these hurts and these grudges and we hold on to them, but what they end up doing is, is they, they explode around everyone around us. And that's not ever going to be able to show mercy. In our own families, there's so many hurts and grudges that I know most of you guys have towards somebody in your family. There's, something, there's those difficult people in your family that have maybe hurt you or that have maybe messed with you. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't address those hurts, if you don't let go of those hurts, they're not just going to impact that person. They probably won't even impact that person anymore. But they're going to impact your future and the family that you have around you currently. So we've got to address these hurts and we've got to let them go because there's going to be collateral damage if we don't. And then our last point is by believing God is working when I can't see it. By believing God is working when I can't see it. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love always trusts. Love is always hopeful. Love always perseveres through whatever comes. You see, sometimes when we give mercy, we want like an immediate response out of people, right? I'm going to give you mercy. 
I'm giving you mercy right now. And we want that response to be like, oh, thank you. I'm going to change my life because I've gotten your mercy. I'm a different person now. And we can just live happily ever after in this family, right? That's what we want. But the reality is, is that that's never what happens, right? When we're like, I'm, I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to give you mercy. We don't get that response. But that doesn't mean that God is not working in that person. That doesn't mean that a seed hasn't been planted. But since we're so instantaneous about what we want in response, like we want immediate results, sometimes we choose not to forgive or give mercy to people because we know it's not going to happen immediately. That it may be ugly for a little bit. It, it may be redigging the past stuff. It may be fusing a relationship that's going to take some time to build a bond of trust again. We don't want to go through all that stuff. We just want to say, I give you mercy, and then to get a response of, I've changed. You know? And that's not how God works. Listen to Psalm 28 too. It says, Lord, hear my prayer for mercy when I call to you for help, when I lift my hands towards your most holy place. You see, David's saying here, he's praying to God for mercy because he needs the help. And a lot of times, we're not going to be able to achieve and give mercy on our own. And just because we have given the mercy does not necessarily mean that, that person is going to respond in a merciful way. It's not going to, they're not going to respond in a way that maybe we want them to. You see, it's our role to give mercy, but it's God's role to change the heart. It's not our place to change people's hearts. It's not our place to get inside of people's minds and say, you, it's time to be different. It's our place to show Christ, and it's their place to receive him. And so many times we try to take the place of God, and if we don't get results, we don't want to do it. But we've got to go to God, and we've got to trust in God, and not try to fix it ourselves. You see, as a dad, sometimes I think it's my role. Sometimes I don't want to change my kids, you know, or I don't want God to change my kids. Because I think it's my job to change my kids. If my kids are angry, it's because they've seen anger in me. If my kids are selfish, it's because they've seen selfishness in me. If my kids, and part of those things are true, but, the, but at the end of the day, my kids spend eight hours in a school. My kids are involved in culture things. My, my kids watch YouTubes from time to time. My kids watch uh, anything on their tablet. My kids watch TV shows. My kids spend time with other kids. So when I think about it, maybe some of my kids have my characteristics because of some things they see in me, but maybe some of their characteristics aren't from me. You know what I'm saying? Maybe some of the things that my kids deal with and struggle with are not my fault. Maybe it's the culture and the sinful nature within them as they get older. And as they get older, it'll even be, it'll be heightened even more. And so this side of me that just wants to control mercy because of what I've done for my kids, I try to do it myself. I try to play God. But the reality is, is that I need to go to God more than I do for my kids. And I was super challenged by this because think of it this way, like David talks about. He, he talks and prays to God for mercy for the people around him. And the challenge is how do you do with that? Because that's probably a good indicator of how much mercy you're giving to your family. Do you pray for your family a lot? Like do you sit and pray for your family? Like brothers, sisters, kids, moms, dads, whoever it is. Do you pray for your family? Because that's going to be a great indicator of how much mercy you're actually exemplifying to your family. You pray for your family a lot, you probably give your family a lot of mercy. 
You pray for your family a little, they probably don't see a lot of mercy out of you. You pray for your family at all, you're not probably given any mercy. It's a huge challenge to look at our lives and look at our prayer life if we want, to, if we want an indicator of what kind of mercy is showing up in our families. I thought about that because I'm super challenged for my kids. Like, I pray for my kids from time to time, but I don't pray as much as I should. I just I pray with them, but I don't I don't pray for them. Does that make sense? Like, we'll sit and we'll pray from time to time on the way to school, or we'll we'll pray before dinner, or we'll pray before bed, and, and we'll do prayers like that from time to time. But I don't I don't as much as I should. And I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I don't go off to myself and sit and pray for my kids as much as I probably should. And then I watch how I treat my kids from time to time. And I see why I probably don't give mercy to my kids because I don't ask God for the help that I probably should. I see how quick I am to snap at my kids and to say things that I probably shouldn't, to yell at my kids, to say mean things to my kids. Whenever I'm not trying to let God come in and show mercy for me and to give that grace and to give that attitude. I'm not sitting here saying I'm a terrible dad, but I could be a lot better. You know, um, I try to be a good worldly dad more so than a godly dad. And I think, once again, I can sit here and, and look and pinpoint exactly why. And it's because of the example of a dad that I had in my life was, was absent. And so even in my own life, I can even backtrack past hurts and look at how those things are affecting my future. And it's becoming more of, you know, I'm never going to get that sniper shot on my dad because he's gone. So it's, got, it's on me. But guys, I'm begging you today, if you want to look for mercy, if you want change in your guys' families, it starts with your relationship with God. It doesn't start with your relationship with others. It doesn't start with what's happened to you. It starts with how you choose to bring God into your family. Look what it says here to finish up today in Lamentations 3, 20 through 23. It says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. By his mercies, we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. You see, this verse is so cool. Because just like we always want fresh starts with our families. We've made so many mistakes. I've made so many mistakes. And I want something different. I want, I want to try to change. I want to try to address things in a different way. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a more godly dad. What's so cool is that God gives us the same hope because he chooses to do the same thing with us every day. It says his mercies begin afresh every day. God forgives us every single day. And maybe you're at a place in your life where you look at your life and you say, I don't... I don't feel like God can forgive me because of the way I've treated my family. I don't feel like God can change me because my family looks at me this way as is. But God chooses to look at each and every one of you guys and he says, listen, I'm going to have mercy on you every single day. Every morning you will start afresh and I will have mercy on your life and I will give you a new hope and I will give you a new chance. And that to me gives me the hope that I can do something different for my family too. That gives me the hope that I can start afresh every day, just like God does with me, and try to change something. I'm not going to be perfect every day, 
but I have hope that every day can be a new day. And that's all that God wants to show you and, and, and give you today is just a new hope that you can show mercy to your family, but that God can give you mercy every single day too. See, I don't know where you guys are at today. If you guys want to pull out that communication card in your guys' bulletin, this is a great opportunity for you guys to see and understand what kind of mercy God wants for your life. What kind of ways God can show you mercy. Here at the Crossings Church, um, we have so many ways to get connected. You know, for me, I'm not doing all this on my own. Like, I'm not learning how to be a dad on my own. I I have connection. I have other godly dads that give me advice and insight and support. I'm not learning how to be a godly husband by myself. I'm not learning to change a cycle in what I was raised as by myself. But I found connection with people who are trying to help me and show me something different. And I think that that's exactly why God brought you here today. Was for you guys to have that same hope, that same, that same help. Whether it be that you need to see God's mercy in your life and you need, you need that hope to know that God can forgive you. Or if you need that challenge to know that you yourself can change the way that you treat your family. That that hope can finally show up and that mercy can show up with you daily. So I don't know where you're at with that today, but we have so many different ways to get connected with us. Um, you know, it's, it's the summertime's coming up, so the school year's wrapping up. We have church camps for all of our students, um, and that's a great opportunity for you guys. If you have kids or if you are, you know, any grade between kindergarten to to seniors in high school, even our college ministry, we have a campus retreat. That's a great opportunity for you to get some time with some other kids your age learning how to be different in their lives. So if like you're a parent that like wants your kid to change, send them to camp. (laughs) You know, like there's your in. You know, if you're a kid that on your own wants to change, invite yourself. You know, more times than not, it's probably your parents going to be throwing you there, but you're going to come, you're going to come back different. You know, Um, it's just a great opportunity. You know, we do a lot of, we spend a lot of more time. The summers here at the Crossings Church get pretty busy, but also it's a great opportunity just to build more depth with one another. And so I don't know where you're at today. We have different support services. We have different classes that we offer to help. You know, how am I supposed to give mercy whenever I've been abused? We have classes for that. How am I supposed to give mercy when I'm the addict? We have classes for that. We have, we have people that have actually been in those same spots. These classes aren't taught by people who are professionals. These classes are taught by people who are addicts and abuse themselves. They're in your same context. It's a safe place. So I don't know where you're at, but just indicate anything that you need or that we can help you with today on those cards. Um, I'm glad that you guys visited for Mother's Day. We're in the middle of this Miracle Mercy thing. And so if you'd like to know more about that, if you just want to jump into one of those, one of those we meet throughout the week on different days, just check on there somewhere or just write in your prayer notes that I'd like to join a Miracle Mercy group. And we'll, we'll plug you into one of those one of those this week. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll reach out today or tomorrow and, and give you guys a, a location that you guys can jump in with that. We have them for high schoolers, our college students, and then there's multiple adult ones that we have going on throughout the week in different houses in different cities. So um, I'm excited that you guys are here. I'm glad that you guys came to visit us with Mother's Day. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm, I hope that I can give you something today, or I gave you something today that's going to draw you closer to God, that's going to show some mercy in your guys' family, and that maybe could change a cycle and the way that mercy has been shown within your own families. So I'm going to say a prayer. The worship is going to come up, and then we'll, we'll uh, wrap up for today. Uh, God, I just want to thank you so much just for the idea of mercy. Um, God, it is a hard principle um, to, to exemplify. God, I know it's, it's easy to want to receive it, and it's easy to receive it, but it's not as easy to, uh, to do it and give it back. And God, I know that families are the hardest place 
to, to give that back to people. Uh, it is so hard to want to give mercy to my family because those are the people that we see every single day. Those are the people we're closest to. Those people that tend to hurt us the most. Um, but God, we need it so badly in our families to, to, change the, to change the cycles, to change the families, to change the hope that you have for us. So thank you again for your son. Thank you again for that example of mercy in our own hearts and our own lives that we can maybe give that back to our families, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.